Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, you meet with our executive leadership team, what? three times a week, four times a week, maybe every single day? Something like that. Not every single day. And it's also changed since we've been remote. That is true. That is true. So when you're meeting with the ELT, what are those conversations like? And by that, I mean, when you're in these meetings, maybe they're strategy meetings, maybe they're meetings specifically to make decisions. What are some of the components that make them effective? Yeah, you know, when you're meeting with executives, the first Uh, you know, the first thing to think about is like, these folks are extremely busy. They are uh, navigating multiple conversations, multiple decisions each and every day. Um, So you may have a meeting with them on, uh, you know, like lessons that we've learned from some marketing campaigns, for example, or working with them on a presentation that they will be uh, doing coming up. But the meeting that they just had before that may have been on something completely different. So they're like, there's a huge context switch when they're coming into the room with you. Um, So what, you know, as a presenter or as a person leading the meeting, I think your role is really to um, make whatever information that you are sharing with them easily digestible so they can quickly context switch. You know, so provide a summary up front, set that upfront context so that they understand, like, why are we meeting here in the first place? You may have told them last week that you're going to set up this meeting and we're going to talk, but they likely forgot because a million things happened between that one week. Um, as a person leading this meeting, you really have to be prepared, you know, have an agenda, have a clear purpose for why we're meeting in the first place. We're not here to just chit chat. What do you hope to accomplish at the end of the meeting and keep that front and center and then make sure you get to that at the end and reiterate what that decision is or set of decisions are that you've made together. And then uh, probably the last piece that I'd say is come with solutions, not problems. You know, I think everyone's probably heard that, but it's extremely true. Um, you know, executives, the easier, again, you can make it for them to make a decision, the better off you'll be. Uh, so provide options. Mm-hmm. If you've done homework, if you've, you know, had folks, um, if you've done any kind of research on the different choices that they have, lay that out for them. Those are a few tips that I'd have, but you know, at the end of the day, execs are also human. So have fun, be yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it sounds like being clear and concise is, is kind of what we're circling around here. Right. And it's very similar when you're selling to executives as well. I was kind of jotting down what you shared, and it's really similar, just a slight, you know, you're looking through it to a different lens, mm-hmm. right? Which is to me is like, be prepared, right? So when I'm going into a meeting selling to executives, I have to be prepared. I have to know who I'm talking to. I have to know what I'm talking about. And I need to know it very well because I need to speak concisely, right? Time is mm-hmm. limited. The other thing is having a very clear outcome at the beginning of the call, ideally within the first 30, 60 seconds, I actually would do it before intros. Like, hey, before we get into intros and anything else, here's why we're meeting. 
Now let's I go like around that. the table to, I guess, set the table, right? Of who's bringing what to, to the meeting and the conversation. And the other one is, I think, kind of, uh, kind of builds off those two, which is like owning the conversation. It's really easy to get sidetracked if someone, you know, someone focuses on a really, you know, nitpicking or like, hey, you know, overall this makes sense. But that one bullet point on that slide and then you spend 14, 15 minutes talking about that. And then, you mm-hmm. you know, you've got two minutes left in the meeting and you haven't accomplished what you set out for. So those are kind of my three, my three things, which is prep, having a clear outcome and then owning the conversation. You were more concise than me, so... I think, I think you're ready for the next exact combo. <laughs> I went second. I had a lot to work with. Um, reason we're, we're talking about this is we hung out with Ian Cognac, who's a strategic account director at Salesforce.com. And that's all we talked about was his approach. And it's exactly what we talked about, Gina. It's being clear, concise, but also how to have a human touch to it, how that human element to really build a connection. And so um, let's go hang out with Ian and hear what he has to say. Let's do it. Ian Happy Friday to you. Thanks for hanging out with us on Reveal today. How's it going? Good, man. How you doing? It's, it's my favorite day of the week, just, you know, despite Saturday. So I'm doing great. I'm in a great mood. Fridays, we get our inspiration by talking to amazing sales leaders like you. So Devin and I get pumped up before we head into the weekend. Exactly. I am I'm right there with you. And my Friday will have a wine tasting event where we've picked three of the top international wines for our senior executives and our best VIP clients at two o'clock today. So I will go get to um, share and, you know, host uh, a very great group of people. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the day too. Yeah. Sheena and I have done one with our team a couple of weeks ago. It was very fun. Uh, you know, if you can't get out to Sonoma or wherever you live out to the, you know, wine tasting in person, I highly recommend having it sent to you. There's nothing, uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's, ama- it's amazing the response we've had, too. We did a sake one, we did a whiskey one, and a wine one. And clients, mm. people that you generally might not get a hold of, <laughs> raise their hand pretty quickly because everyone wants a break. Everyone is is dealing with, with stuff, so it's just a nice no-business talk. It's just literally learning about the spirits and getting people together for you know appreciation. I would love to see the data behind the acceptance rate between people with kids and without kids. So, something tells me that the group with kids is, is, is RSVPing a little faster uh, than the others. Yeah. But, but, but pure speculation. <laughs> it's funny. Cause it's funny because I have two under four, and my um, my oldest made a cameo on the last tasting. He popped in sitting on my lap. So people, <laughs> I mean, it's so casual. I love that. Well, Ian, you're the strategic account director over at Salesforce. Can you tell us a little bit about you know what that role entails and what you're focused on right now? Sure. So my job is to align the best possible resources at Salesforce and to make sure that our entire team, which my team is over 20 people, are supporting the customer's top initiatives, their most strategic initiatives, helping them accelerate time to value, you know, capture more customers, drive growth, you know, whatever it is they're, they're focused on. And I bring the breadth and depth of Salesforce to them. So I have under me, not directly under me, it's dotted line, but I'll have the Tableau account executive and their sales engineer and their team, the MuleSoft account executive. So essentially everything that is sold under Salesforce umbrella and our subsidiaries rolls up and I would get ACV credit for all of our products. So my my job's interesting. I, I do carry my own bag of kind of core Salesforce products, but then I'm also quarterbacking a lot of these other acquisitions and their teams to make sure 
what they're doing aligns with the overall strategy and the account. So that's that's um, my role. That's uh, it's nice to have that comprehensive view across like the new product acquisitions, then kind of rolling those into your own portfolio and helping to now sell this new vision of Salesforce plus these new additional components like. I guess Slack will be part of that soon too. Yeah, Slack will be part of it. We'll I'm sure we'll get that in our back. I mean, it's it's interesting because when you have just a hammer, right? All you look for is a nail. Um, when you have a screwdriver and when you have a level and every other tool, you can really solve any problem. So if, if that's that's really my job is to make sure I'm understanding their problems and then bringing in the team, the resource, and quarterbacking the actual deals to um, make sure that we are helping the client with the areas that they need most help. And it, it's amazing. I mean, I, I am getting um, most of my ACV this year will come from Tableau and it will come from marketing cloud. And we have a big meal mm. deal we're working on now. I mean, sales cloud is pretty saturated, right? The CRM typical market is not growing that fast at Salesforce, maybe 10 to 15%. But when you talk about some of these other areas, the platform and some of the collaboration tools and right. BI tools, I mean, it's growing, you know, leaps and bounds. And so Salesforce's strategy has been um, growth through acquisition and we'll take these new products to our current customer base. And now um, they, you know, really, again, it, we become more of a partner because a lot of like one of my largest accounts is a huge Tableau footprint. And you know, they're coming to me and saying, how can we manage this more as a global organization? So I'm collaborating with the Tableau team and um, the VPs. And, but it, it's, I was a sales manager and a director of sales um, where I had 70, 80 employees in my last role before this. And that whole skill set of like quarterbacking, you know, salespeople, it's really coming into handy. And it wasn't in the beginning. At first, it was just individual contributor, but now it's all coming full circle. So I'm using some of those skills that I had as a, as a sales leader now just to, you know, execute in, in my current job. So you've recently written about your commitment to overcoming some difficult personal challenges and, and you have a new definition now for what success actually means. I'm curious, what does being successful mean to you? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, gosh, it means so much, but I'd say to simplify the definition, it's uh, fulfilling your full potential. For me, being successful means using your gifts that God has given you and putting them to maximum use across all aspects of your life, right? So for me, success means getting better each day, a little bit better each day and, and realizing what you, you know, nobody's perfect. We all have our, our challenges. I, I used to be all in with just my career and I finished number one at Salesforce and that took a big sacrifice in terms of my family life and my health and you know, I, I had my struggles, you know, I, I struggled with addiction and, you know, I, I really have taken a step back, especially this year, especially to focus on the important things. And for me, that was family. It was getting healthy. And I'm proud to say that I'm in a better spot than I've ever been in, in my life, not because I have more money or because I have more success in my role, but because I have better relationships with the people that are closest to me. Just more giving back to others versus just you know, um, focusing on myself and my own income. So that's how I would define success is, you know, per, you know, pursuing and fulfilling your potential and then continuous improvement, you know, in all aspects of life. I love that approach. There's a quote from Jim Carrey that I love. Uh, it says, uh, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Yeah, you nailed it. I've actually heard that quote too, uh, Devin, and, and it's so true. 
And you don't know that until you get to the top. That's the ironic thing. And that's why you have so many rich people that are miserable, right? Because they've yeah. spent so much of their time, energy, and focus on acquiring wealth or success in the material fit manner, but they don't have the relationships that back them up or they might have personal problems. And I, I just, I pivoted that whole thing. I flipped it on its head this year. I took paternity leave. I took 12 weeks off, which in sales is unheard of just mm-hmm. to be with my family and support my wife. I used to take sales courses. I took a supporting her course on how to, you know, support Love her as that. a partner during labor. So I, I've just shifted. I, I mm-hmm. got sober and, you know, so many different things. I mean, I cut my vices like you would not believe where now my only vice is, I mean, it really is just being on, on this thing on my phone too much. And, you know, more, I, don't have, I don't have social media apps plugged in on this. I definitely go on LinkedIn too often. But at the end of the day, I have, you know, kind of a side hustle that I do there. So there's a reason for that. But it, it's all about awareness and change is not easy. Change takes intention. So if there's areas in your life that need, um, you know, need, need attention, you have to give them attention or nothing's going to change. So, you know, when I started my journey in sales, what I needed to put focus on was being the best salesperson I could be. And I paid over $50,000 to, you know, join a program and get mentorship and join a mastermind and literally just start from the beginning on learning how to be the best salesperson I could be. And I finished number one that year. And then I finished in the top five. Well, I nailed that, that piece of it. And then, like I said, there were all these personal things that got left behind. You cannot do it all. And if anyone who thinks you can do it all is mistaken, you have to stay focused. Focus is the key. If you focus on, you know, when you're working work, minimize the distraction when you're with family, be present and, you know, um, minimize the distraction, right? You can have most, most of it. You can have it all, but you can have pretty good balance. And, and I'm in a place now where I, I'm fortunate where I can have health. I exercise every day. I, like I said, I, I stopped a lot of the vices that I struggled with. I spent a lot of time with my family. I cook, I um, work really hard and I'm continuing to perform. I have a side business. And the only way to do that is, is, to be laser focused in kind of each of these areas versus trying to do everything and not doing anything really well. So you pick what's important in the key areas and then you, you spend your time doing those things. I don't waste a lot of time. That's for sure. And that's how I'm able to, to manage all these things. I love that as a new dad this year as well. I can definitely, definitely attest to the importance of focus. Uh, I tell Sheena all the time, I have a newfound respect for you. Uh, she's a mom of three and, you know, crushing it in her role. And I'm a, dad of one, she's two months. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is a whole different level. And you got to be laser focused and uh, sharp with your time to, to like you said, to, 100%. to be fulfilled it, 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 in all of those individual buckets versus I'm overflowing as a perform, you know, sales performance, but you know, bone dry in some of these other buckets. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're so right. And congrats, congratulations on, Thank on you. your newborn minus four to months. You I also have a four-year-old and they're both home being, you know, because school is canceled. So it, it really is taking a whole new level this year of focus to be able to, to do it all. You just take what you can and accept where you're at and knowing you're doing your best. And that's, that's my new philosophy and that's success to me. Well, in the spirit of uh, focus and awareness, I asked you, Ian, to come join us on Reveal because I wanted to dive into, you know, how to have impactful executive conversations. And so I'd love to hear from you, maybe just starting by why is that so important and such a critical skill for sales pros and maybe even sales leaders to have? Yeah, so it goes back to focus. So just to be clear, right, I used to work 50, 60 hours a week in Salesforce and I would grind it out. 
and I would spend a lot of time on a lot of smaller deals and I had to control everything. So um, what happens when you sell that way is you're spread thin and you're all over the place. I mean, I, I might have 10 to 20 opportunities going at one time. And just like we talked about with focus, what I realized is it used to be a little bit of time with a lot of different you know, people and a lot of opportunities at lower levels in terms of my sales cycle. Now it's a lot of time with very few people at the executive level. So by shifting your focus to executives, really in, in, in the sales world, my quote is around $2 million. I could do you know, 20 deals at 100K to get to quota. I need to sell one to two deals a month to hit it, or I can do one deal at $2 million. And in reality, those, those same 100K deals take more or less the same time as a $2 million deal. So when I realized that, you know, you don't have to work in this grind of chasing, that's the hard way. And I did it for years and years, most of my sales career. But back in um, 2017, you know, when I did this big investment, I made a decision that I was going to focus on solving companies' problems and having a huge impact on my customers. And you just don't do that for a 20K deal or a 50K deal. It's not that impactful. Maybe it helps the department and their people. But if you're really going to change a business and how they work, you need to solve the biggest problems. And the people who know the biggest problems are the ones at the C-suite who are sitting on the board or the executives. And the only way to find out what those problems are are to connect with them. So it makes every bit of difference in the world of sales. If you don't know how to connect with executives, if you don't know how to speak to them, if you don't know how to prospect to them, if you don't know how to open them up, you're going to be grinding it out and slaving away to get to your quota and that's doing it the hard way. And unfortunately, that's what the vast majority of salespeople do. They, they grind to get their plan and they get burnt out when you don't have to do that. You just need to find a few, you know, key execs with some big problems. So I'm an elephant hunter is really what I do. And then I have my smaller deals that kind of you, you get your singles and doubles that, you know, get you to plan. And when you close that, you know, larger deal, that one, two, three million dollar deal, that gets you to number one, that gets you to chairman's club. That's the way to do it is you want to have your singles and doubles going, but don't rely on them. You also have to have, you know, your, your three, four deals that are very large that can make your whole year if, if you get them. And so I've, I've kind of, um, I won't say mastered, but I, I definitely have um, gotten very good at uh, setting meetings with the C-suite and finding problems and kind of executing that um, that uh, sales process at, at the executive level. So you, you kind of learned a little bit through your own career of how to up-level, who you're speaking to. I'm curious when you take a look at, like if you had 30 minutes on the calendar of, of, of an executive versus 30 minutes on the calendar with maybe a, a manager level or whoever you may have been interacting with beforehand, how is that 30-minute conversation different now um, at this exec level? Well, it's different because if I have a 30-minute exec conversation, I'm going to spend three hours preparing. If it's a 30-minute manager conversation, I'm going to spend three minutes preparing. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. The difference is in the preparation. So for an executive conversation, first of all, they don't just happen, right? You have to um, – you know, it's, it's a lot of time and energy into actually getting the meeting in the first place. So that's where it starts. But once you get the meeting, I think you need to do a few things to prepare um, to make that meeting effective. Number one is you need to come with a point of view. You need to think about, you know, what they're dealing with 
and what they're trying to solve for and come in with a high level point of view on how and where you can help them. Now, some of this is going to be speculative because you've never talked to them before, but most executives have a lot of public data available, right? So what I do before I meet with that executive in preparation is I will, um, if, if they've ever been interviewed, I will read their interviews and I'll take notes and I'll kind of pull out some things that they're talking about. Number two, if they've ever been on a podcast or in a video, I will watch the videos and pull out notes and take care. So basically, I, I compile notes that here are the things you care about. And then I take those notes and say, okay, which of those specific things can we solve for? Which of those things can we impact, right? So I think just when you reach out, you got to know the business problem, but you also need to know like what is going to connect at that human to human level. For me, you know, it, it's not really so much of like, how can I plan out this exact agenda? It's really like, what am I curious about? What do I want to reflect back to them? And then it's, it's like, if I have 30 minutes, my goals are really simple. It's to float my point of view with them, okay, in terms of where I think we can help and, and get their feedback. Are we onto the right things? Or is this something else that's more important to you that you want to talk about? Or what's, you know, completely top of mind for you? So, I typically will share a customer story of another customer that is trying to do the same thing that has already worked with Salesforce that's been able to get some results. So we have a reference point, but most of the time it's literally just going through my questions and the questions are simple. It's really, you know, what right now is your top priority in terms of what's keeping you up at night? What is your biggest challenge you're facing? Why is that a challenge? What are you planning to do with about it? What's the impact if you solve it on you? That that's, that's the, the difference in executives, uh, Sheena, and the managers is the managers are very laser focused on like their job. The executives are focused on their business, their company, their vision. And, but I just feel like executives are very direct. They'll open up to you right away um, once they know that you're not some person that's just like cold calling blindly and, and doesn't know who they are, right? By the time the 30 minutes comes, I know why I'm talking to them typically. I know what I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to ask. It's usually a lot of times those 30 minutes turn into an hour. All right, everyone. In every episode, we like to have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Gong Labs, our data research team, analyzed 9,056 sales opportunities to see how decision-maker involvement in deals affected win rates. It turns out that deals that did not involve decision makers, defined as having a VP or CXO title, were 80% less likely to close. And when we looked at enterprise deals, deals that have a sales cycle that's longer than 90 days and a contract value that's over $100,000, the gap got even bigger. Enterprise deals had a whopping 233% drop in close rates. Enterprise deals were a whopping 233% less likely to close if the decision maker wasn't involved. In other words, virtually impossible to close. So does that mean you should involve the decision maker at every step of your deal? Not necessarily. When we looked at the correlation between win rates and the percentage of calls where decision makers were present, the data shows that sometimes less is more. Win rates were highest when decision makers played the role of the approver, someone who has the final say on a purchase, as opposed to the evaluator, someone who assesses the purchase from an operational perspective and is much more involved in the deal. The lowest win rates actually happen when the decision maker was very involved in the deal. Why? Because they get deal fatigue. 
They've invested too much time in the deal and they don't see a return around the bend, so they give up and your deal goes downhill. So what does this all mean? Well, the most interesting takeaway here is that you don't need a decision maker to run the entire deal. Getting them involved in your deal is crucial, but don't overcomplicate your deal by trying to drag them into every meeting. Instead, include them in one or two impactful conversations about what matters most to them. I like the cold outreach example. I think you know you really walked us through what that takes, how to prepare. I'd be really interested to hear from you, Ian, is you know, a lot of deals are at the influencer level or the champion level. Yep. What is your advice on tactics folks can use to unlock access to that person in the C-suite so they get an opportunity to do what you had just discussed in terms of, you know, being curious and getting their buy-in, et cetera? Yeah. So so my first piece of advice is start high to begin with so you don't start Ideally. that territory influence. <laughs> So that doesn't know, always happen, right? But sure. a lot, most people don't do that. They don't do that. They don't start at the C. They're intimidated. They think, you know, these executives are not going to want to talk to me. I'm a lowly sales rep, whatever. So you just got to do it. And the more you do it, you get better. But if you can't get there to begin with and you get, you know, at a director level, maybe a VP of a department um, who's a champion or influencer, I think a couple, couple ways that I um, typically would go about getting access to power, you know, First of all, I'll give you a full disclaimer in that just because they're a champion or influencer doesn't mean they don't have power. Some people get deals done, and I never talk to a C-suite executive. It's not always. Sometimes they come in at the end. It's not always start high, go down, and go back up, right? It doesn't always work that way. But um, when I'm stuck at, like, let's just say a director level or senior director, and they can't sign off and they have to get their boss, um, typically what I'll do is I'll empower them to – go in and, you know, put their fingerprints on whatever we're presenting. And I'll say, look, my best experience and my most successful experience in helping clients get our products and services is when we have the decision maker or the person who has to sign off, you know, in the room so they can ask questions so we can make sure we're mapping to their priorities and we can make sure that, um, you know, we're not missing anything that they care about with, with our proposal. Who besides yourself needs to sign off on this project. Who do you have to sell this to? And usually they'll tell you and I'll say, what does that process look like? And they'll usually tell you and say, I'll tell you what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go through what I'm going to propose with you and and give you a first glance and get your feedback, make sure it hits the nails. And then I'd like to both co-present to your CFO or your CIO with your input, right? To make sure you know, it, it, it definitely hits the mark on what, what they're going to want to see. But my experience has been when we get them in the room, I'm also going to have my vice president there as well. So it'd be good to get them aligned with, with your executive. Um, then things move a lot quicker versus you having to sell this all on your own. Would that be okay? So, you know, you make them part of the process. Now, if, if they don't want to engage and they don't want to um, bring in their boss or they're like a control freak, you know, you can give them a chance to, um, sell it internally, but if it's not going anywhere and they're not successful, right, then you have to go over their head. You have to go um, over, you know, to their boss or whoever it is. Um, if you don't have access, uh, you know, through them, then you have to go on your own or figure out maybe you have your exec reach out. But typically I don't find that happens. You know, nine out of 10 times my champion will bring in their boss because they want this and they, you know, they want the boss to see it firsthand. But mm-hmm. the more you can empower them and, you know, no one wants to feel like they have no power, right? So I find that, you know, activating your champion and getting them to get you in front of the right people is, is more effective than going over someone's head. 
I imagine in, you know, kind of in the old way of doing things pre 2020, you spent a lot of time on site with your customers. You would you know, have lunch. Maybe you bump in into one of the decision makers or, you know, some senior executives at the client site itself. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's not happening now. Right. We're all virtual. So I'm curious, number one, what's been the impact of, uh, you know, your sales motion, given everything's virtual and you're still selling very complex, large uh, deals. And then number two, how are you making the most of virtual and getting in front of uh, in front of the execs? Yeah, it's interesting because the motion hasn't changed much, right? What's changed is the dinner conversation. And if you've been in sales a long time, you know what I'm talking about. It's when you get the real skinny, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. sitting at the table with the exec and they say, here's what we really need. You get a nice bottle of wine and they start to open up and they start to go in and you know, they really start to make sure that they're telling you the truth. And it's like, it's amazing what happens outside of the office. So being in selling in COVID, like you can't get on a golf course. You can't, you know, take them to dinner. You can't do these things where connections are built. So it really does come down to, I would say the relationship aspect is not going to be as strong over video. It just isn't, unfortunately. So what you really need to do is make your execution strong. You need to follow up do what you say you're going to do, get back to people quickly, make sure you, you know, run a, run a tight um, mutual plan with them and just be a pro. You know, I, I think, I think what this type of selling does is you, you cut past all the, you know, the formalities and you get to, down to business. That's what I'm finding on video. People want to get down to business and you know, it's, it's been a, a, a transition for sure because I'm a social, you know, animal. I love to hang out with people and just bond. And I I just have a lot in common with a lot of people. I can be a chameleon where I can blend and talk about the family or talk about, you know, struggles or talk about running or whatever, like literally whatever football. Um, And that's just how I am. I enjoy, you know, talking about what people you know, want to talk about and I can pull from whatever. It's really hard to do that. You can't shoot the shit as much (laughs) over, over a zoom call. Right. Um, And so, you know, my, my approach has been that the sales cycles generally are shorter um, because you're like laser focused in what needs to get done. Um, the other thing is, is that clients now are, I'm seeing um, because they're not flying around as much, they're not going to as many um, conferences, that type of thing. It used to be like a month or two to get on someone's calendar at the C-suite. Now it's like a week or two. So I don't know. It's been, I'm not going to say easier. It hasn't been easier, but I think it's been more efficient. The tragedy of COVID and, and used it for our, um, you know, re- reshaping our, our talk tracks with our customers to focus more on transformation and innovation and using this time to advance their business versus contract their business. The other thing is we, we shifted what we're selling too, right? So we have a solutionwork.com now, which is, you know, focused on, um, you know, specifically um, things related to, to COVID and supporting, um, you know, the remote employees and um, we have, you know, vaccine management and just all kinds of new solutions that are uh, specific for, you know, this uh, time we're in. It's, it's been a big shift, but in, in general, I, I haven't, we haven't seen much down downside in business because of COVID. That's for sure. I'm curious, Ian, you know, you're on the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. We love data. 
I'm curious if you have any you know, like benchmarks, KPIs, or simply ways that you measure like decision maker involvement in your deals. Like, do you guys have like a threshold? You know what I mean? Like, do some deals kind of have like, hey, there's this baseline threshold. We know if we don't get past it, we're going to be in trouble or we shouldn't forecast it. Um, or any other ways that you kind of view, you know, uh, measuring, you know, some of the things you've been talking about and like how important access is for your deals specifically. Yeah, I, I do for sure. I mean, there's there's certain metrics where, and, and I'll just um, just kind of spitball, you know, what I look for if I know a deal is going to happen or not, right? Yeah. So, number one, above and beyond all else, everything else is it doesn't matter except this one. This is the most important: is are we at power? Okay, that's by far the most important. Are we at power? And, and as I mentioned before, power speeds up the deal. Power needs to get things done now because they have a burning problem on their hand. When we are at power and power has a problem, which is number two, that is the two, you know, for me, that, that's the two biggest ones. So what's the problem that they're trying to solve? Are we at power? Okay. Can we solve it? Okay. So those are not necessarily, you know, quantitative measures. They're more qualitative measures, but you know if you don't know if you're at power, you ask them, when was the last time you brought in a new technology into your organization? What does that look like? Have you ever been able to execute something like this before? You know, that's how you know, because if they haven't done it, you know, they won't give me an example. So that's, that's how I, I check with it. They know their process. They know what it takes. They've, you know, created business cases before. That's the third, you know, that's the third metric. So power problem business case. So, so impact, what is the, um, ROI of our solution? Have we quantified the impact, you know, of them going over? In other words, every month that they wait, it's costing them this much. It's costing them this much in employee time. It's costing this much in, um, you know, uh, lost customer revenue. It's costing this much in attrition, right? So, you know, that's part of the problem. When they tell you they have a problem, you have to ask as a as a sales rep, what's the impact of this problem? What are the metrics that you're trying to fix? So this, um, chief customer officer that I mentioned earlier, her metric was she was trying to get her MPS score, her net promoter score from like around zero to 30. That was a big problem because their goal was to convert free to paid customers, mm. right? And their free customers were actually, um, you know, the ones that were, you know, the, the most unhappy and had the lowest MPS score. So how do you serve the free customers at scale? That was the problem we're trying to do so that they become paid customers. How do you give them the best support, even though they're not paying and they don't have access to a call center agent? So, um, you know, diving into those metrics and then, okay, what is the conversion rate specifically for, um, free to pay? What is it worth? Your average customer is $20 a month that's paid. So it's two forty a year. And if you convert 1 million of those per year, that's $240 million. That's a massive problem for a $5 billion company. Okay. And I won't name names for confidentiality purposes, but that's exactly the exercise we had to go through. It's like, okay, what would a 1% conversion mean from free to pay? And then that's your business justification of whatever technology. So having that, you know, problem have a cost and then showing them what the improvement would be with your software in the large enterprise. It's, it's really important because, you know, if something's not budgeted. They have to go ask for money and in order to do that. They typically need to present a business case internally in an ROI. So we have a whole team. It's called our business value team that helps our clients co-create that gets the metrics around that stuff. So I would say 
you know, those three are, are super important. And, and I, it's just literally a spreadsheet. It's like, literally, are we at power? What is the problem we're sol- trying to solve? Um, you know, have we done a business case? And then what's the timeline? Is there a compelling event that is forcing them to have to make this change now? In Salesforce or, or on a spreadsheet, it's like, do we have all these metrics that make up a good deal? And then there's just like the, the basic stuff. Like, is there an MSA in place with this customer already? We want to get that process started, right. you know, so that doesn't creep at the last minute and, and cause a slippage. So, yeah. That's helpful. You actually gave some really great tips on specific questions to ask, making sure that you're checking all those boxes, that you're both measuring uh, the metrics around your own deal process, but you're also asking the right questions and building that relationship to understand the metrics that are important for the customer and understanding how they measure their business. There's kind of two sides to it, it sounds like. That's right. It's all about the customer. I mean, that's the yeah. biggest um, shift that I've made the past four years when I've had my best results is I'm just focused on them. I've, I've moved from mm-hmm. inward focus to outward. So what do you care about? Why do you care about it? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? And then how can we help, right? Those are those are the questions. And that's the human element, right? If you're yeah. going in there talking about you and all the great things you do, they could care less. I don't care what company, Salesforce, any company, they could care less, right? Very it's true. All about their business. So Ian, we like to ask all of our guests one question uh, to wrap up all of our conversations. And I'm curious, I'm very curious to hear what you're going to say to this one, is how would you describe sales in one word? Is roller coaster uh, one word? I don't know, but we can hyphenate it if we need to. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Let's see. Roller coaster. uh, Yeah, roller coaster. I think roller coaster should be one word. (laughs) As we're recording this at the end of Q4, at the end of 2020, I think that's a very... uh, very telling of the year and the time of year we're in right now. Yeah. I mean, sales is up and down. That, that is the best description I can give because the reality is we didn't sign up for a career or a profession that is smooth coasting, right? We're not, we're not riding the ferry. We're on a roller coaster. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be big drops. There's going to be slow buildups. There's going to be times mm-hmm. where you're thrown upside down, literally. Um, and you know, you, you gotta just enjoy the ride, right? Sometimes you need to realize you're on a roller coaster and that's what you signed up for. And if you, yeah. you don't have to step on that roller coaster, there's a lot of other rides there at the park, which are a lot easier. And there's a lot of other jobs and careers. It's never going to be easy. I, I don't care who you are and what you do. I, I have as dialed in as I possibly could be in my role. And it's still a roller coaster. There's always always hiccups and deals there's always asks which are impossible there's always just Mm -hmm. unexpected twists and turns so yeah that that's that's the nature of sales and you've got to enjoy enjoy the ride so you're on a roller coaster try and enjoy it try and take it for what it is and you know you you, it's your choice to be on it (laughs) so don't complain (laughs) love that that's great love it well, thanks for hanging out with us on a Friday. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. hope the listeners did as well. But uh, go get your wine on. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll be chatting again on LinkedIn sooner than later. Yeah, I appreciate you putting this together and everything you guys are doing. And thanks for having me on, for sure. Absolutely. Thanks, Ian. Every week, we like to bring you a micro action, something you can think about or put into play today. Involving decision makers in the right way at the right time is a skill that you can always improve. Here are some actions that you can take immediately to help increase decision maker engagement in your pipeline. First, focus on the C-level first. 
But if you can't get them directly, engage with a champion or an influencer and work your way up. Next, stay curious. Invest the time to prepare for executive meetings and thoroughly research your prospect. The next is a fun one. Come into the meeting with a specific point of view. Think about what they're trying to solve and how you're uniquely positioned to help them. Next, make your champion part of the process. Do a run through with them first and then co-present to the C-level decision maker. And last, and possibly most importantly, measure decision maker involvement throughout each deal. Ask yourself, are we at power? Does the power have a problem? How can we solve it? And what's the quantifiable impact of our solution and the cost of not moving forward today? Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.